everyone. Welcome back to A&D Do ID, our last episode of A&D Do ID, and I'm pretty sure we hit all of the infections, at least most of them. I think we hit the, definitely hit the big infections, and y'all are welcome regardless, because at the end of the day, this was free. <laughs> you know what? You know what I find the most funny is I think the one infection we didn't cover was COVID. Uh, but didn't we saying, do like a special COVID thing? Maybe I don't know. Maybe just saying it's kind of weird. But regardless, today we're gonna do musculoskeletal infections. Yes, we are the bone the bone doctor infections. Yeah, and muscle doctor. And yeah. muscle doctor. Yep. All right. Where do, where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? Well, let's start at the muscles. Let's start at myositis. All right, let's do myositis. So um, typically myositis is going to be viral. There are some like weird metabolic things that can cause myositis, but when you see this on the boards, it's probably gonna be viral and it's likely gonna be related to flu or some kind of recent um, respiratory infection, but definitely something that you're gonna see with flu. So this is gonna be your patient that comes in um, they have weakness usually in their legs, um, sometimes in their upper extremities, and it's and they're tender and it's isolated to the muscles themselves. Um, like I said, usually going to be lower extremities. The calf muscles tend to be one of the muscle groups that is most involved. Your lab, if you do labs on these patients, you do want to get a CK, and that's going to be elevated, and that's going to kind of clue you in. They have this respiratory type symptom or influenza-like illness. And they have this tenderness, you get a CK, it's elevated, that's making you think this has myositis. This patient has myositis. No necessary treatments. Um, unfortunately, it's supportive care, which we are fantastic at because that's what we offer the majority of our patients. Uh, but you can do some uh, anti-inflammatory medications, Tylenol, pain control type stuff like that. You can see like I said, metabolic myopathies. We're not gonna get into that um, overall, but if it talks about an intro that sounds like myositis and leaves you with a metabolic syndrome, typically with mitochondrial dysfunction, that could present with a similar picture. They're also likely gonna give you rhabdo because these patients with the metabolic myopathies definitely get rhabdo at a higher incidence than our viral patients. Cool. All right, where to next, coach? Let's do like uh, the arthritis. Now we'll actually go to the bone, which would be like an arthritis. Arthritis. Arthritis, yeah. Uh, The one that, you know, the most, the one we kind of care about because it is very dangerous is septic arthritis. Classically in kids, this is a fever. They won't walk or they don't want to move their arm or, or their leg or whatever. The hip is the most common in kids to be infected, but any joint can be infected. So um, just because it's not the hip doesn't mean it's not infected. The, the way that you diagnose, the true diagnosis of a hip or a, any type of septic arthritis is actually a culture of synovial fluid. Um, but you also can see things like increased uh, joint space because it's all swollen in there and it, they can have like elevated ESR and sed rate and white count and all that crap that might not also be elevated. So the real true thing is aspiration of the joint and then culture that and then you start them on antibiotics um, and sometimes they need surgical washout as well. 
And that joint space widening is on what, x-ray? X-ray, yeah, yeah, x-ray. And sometimes they'll give you ultrasound. In real life, we often do ultrasounds, but, um, and you can see fluid in there. But yes, on x-ray, you might see a big kind of joint space widening. I was to say, I feel like this is one, obviously, we always want to make sure we don't miss. And I feel like you're, there's sometimes kind of the in-between. But the patients that I've taken care of who have really had septic arthritis, they did not want to let you touch it. And they did not want to move at all. No, they don't. They, and off, that's kind of one of the things is their range of motion should be limited when you have a septic arthritis because they just literally won't move <laughs> their leg because it hurts so bad. Okay, so the most common cause of subject arthritis is staph aureus. So if you're, you know, are a betting woman, then it would be staph aureus. But some special kind of populations, you want to think teenagers, actually is gonorrhea. Gonorrhea, gonorrhea. Don't forget about that. That's a big one. Um, in infants and kids, strep pneumo, H flu, beta hemolytic strep, all those can cause it as well. And we also can see group B strep and E. coli in kids and babies, little, little babies. Yes. So I think it's just this yep. similar to think about our age groups for our other infectious stuff that we've talked about in the past is the same bugs apply here, right? Yep, exactly. Uh, let's talk about treatment. So the treatment for septic arthritis um, is really just most of the time a cephalosporin. So in kids, you can do uh, ceftriaxone, cefazolin, um, you can do cefiroxime in the younger babies. And then in neonates, you want to do like a gentamicin um, with some other uh, staph coverage. Do you want to uh, give a little bonus clinical and talk about Coker criteria? Yeah. <laughs> um, this is not board relevant. Like the boards should not ask you this, but just for completion's sake... Um, there is something called the Coker criteria um, for those training, which is a, a four-point, basically, criteria that helps you kind of determine, does this kid have septic arthritis or do they have sept, um, toxic synovitis, which we're going to talk about in a second. The four criteria are non-weight-bearing, yes or no, a, a temperature greater than 38.5, yes or no, ESR greater than 40, and WBCs greater than 12. And basically what happens is you put that in in your little MD calc, uh, calculation. Two points, if you have two points and a kid who won't walk, the probability of septic arthritis is actually 40%. If you go to three, that's 93%. And then once you hit four criteria, it's like almost 100%. And so it's kind of a nice way to risk stratify kids if you're trying to decide, who, you know, where what we're going to do with this uh, information. So while we're now, that's a nice segue, quite frankly, to toxic synovitis, which is post-infectious arthritis. And this is kind of the most common cause, I would say, for why kids come in and they don't walk. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that it still is technically a diagnosis of exclusion. So you obviously want to make sure that you don't miss septic arthritis. And then likely your workup and everything is going to leave you with toxic synovitis, which obviously it's a scary name, but these kids are anything but toxic. So typically this is going to be uh, your patient that has a recent illness, kind of like what we talked about in uh, myositis. They've got hip pain or they're limping, um, but you can get some range of motion out of them. They're going to have normal inflammatory markers 
They may have a fever, um, but these patients are gonna be otherwise well-appearing. They're not gonna have that hot, immobile joint that we talked about with septic arthritis. You can, it's most likely gonna be caused by uh, viral, uh, flu and parvo tend to be big ones, um, but you can also see uh, EBV, um, hep B and rubella cause uh, toxic synovitis as well. But ultimately it's gonna typically be something that's gonna be a viral source. Um, you can get an ultrasound um, on these patients. It's likely gonna show um, some fluid uh, in the joint, but you're not gonna have those other scary features of septic arthritis or pyogenic arthritis. And that's gonna be their main differentiation. Uh, Anti-inflammatories are gonna be your treatment modality for this. Um, it can be frustrating for parents because they're, even with anti-inflammatories, their kid's probably still gonna have some limp. Um, and they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Carry my kid around? And it's like, no, you can kind of help them out, but this is something that is gonna get better, uh, especially with some anti-inflammatory treatment. Yep. I love that one. Okay. All right, so la last but not least, this is yeah, gonna be a right? pretty short uh, A and D do yeah, ID, well, huh? I think we just have the big, the big one that, the big scary one, the osteomyelitis. Yes, I think you are correct. That is the infection of a bone, which is um, different than arthritis, which is in the joint space. Just you know, for those following along, often times this can be like point tenderness um, at a spot. Now remember that like any bone, any bone can get infected. Like it, your vertebrae can get infected. Your big toe can get infected, your femur, like it doesn't matter where, it all can happen. Um, the diagnosis is actually truly made from like actually taking a piece of bone and culturing it, which they do in the operating room, but in real life, it's MRI. Yeah, absolutely. We, yeah. Uh, you know, you can talk about the x-ray in a patient that this has been going on for a period of time and you may see some bony changes on x-ray, but you're imaging modality of choice is going to be MRI. Now, um, the nice thing about this is that the most common cause of staph, of osteomyelitis in all age groups is actually staph aureus. So you don't have to know that many staph aureus. But this is where they try and trick you on yeah. the boards and throw yeah. in these, uh, these other diseases that have their own risk factors, correct? Um, yeah, so there's a couple different types of, like, special populations again. So think of your sickle cell patients. They are actually more likely to get salmonella. Again, that's because it's an encapsulated organism. If you go back to your, like, micro, remember they need any capsule, so strep pneumo, all those things. But salmonella is um, more likely to cause osteomyelitis in, in sickle cell patients. And then if you ever hear of someone stepping on a nail and getting osteo, then the cause is actually pseudomonas. And that is kind of an interesting thing, especially if it went through a shoe. you got to be worried about pseudomonas. Um, antibiotics, basically uh, nafcillin, oxacillin, clindamycin, and a first-generation uh, first cephalosporin is fine. you got to cover salmonella if it's a... Um, sickle cell and again pseudomonas if it's a nail that's about it 
These are all IV antibiotics yes, and for yes. a long time. So Yeah, most of these uh, kids go home with like a pick line or something. Yeah, so a prolonged course of antibiotics. Um, I would say osteo is probably one too that's a little bit more difficult to make that diagnosis because we don't get a lot of MRI on kids. But if you have this kind of painful area um, and some kind of infectious symptoms going on, then I think you need to consider osteo uh, in patients like this. And remember, sometimes, especially in like little babies, um, and a lot of really in a lot of kids, this can be a hematogenous spread. Um, so sometimes they have another infection, and then you're like, oh, that's the infection, but really, um, that infection just seeded a bone, and so then the bone gets infected. Exactly. All right. Well, I mean, I, I think that that uh, pretty much covers our MSK infections for this last round of A and D do ID. That's crazy. It's it been is indeed. Fun. It has. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>